With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Nun Hei, page 55. We begin at the Mishnah. Hey, Rabbi Yochan ben Gudgada. Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgada said the following testimony. In regards to a woman who is deaf, that her father had married her off, that despite the fact that she has no da'as, she doesn't have the regu- regular requirement of intelligence that's necessary in order to marry or divorce her. Nevertheless, a person can indeed divorce her, and Rashi explains that since a woman is divorced against her will, therefore she doesn't need to have any das. And about a uh, minor, a, a regular Jewish girl, a minor who's not a Kohanist, she's married to a Kohen, she's allowed to eat truma, we're talking about here truma de Rabbanon, since the marriage is de Rabbanon, from, from the rabbis, so she's allowed to eat truma, which is rabbinic as well. And if she passes away, so the husband gets any kind of inheritance. And he also testified about a case where someone steals some kind of beam. And he builds it into his building. And instead of actually giving back that beam, so you don't have to take it out, you don't have to take down the whole building in order to give back the beam that was stolen, but rather we say you can just pay for the stolen beam even though the beam theoretically could be it could be taken out we don't make you do that because otherwise people will not want to do tshuva and uh, and to return that thing and also in regards to someone who brought a stolen korban, a stolen sacrifice as a korban chatas, but it wasn't something that was known to the rabbim, to the public, that it is indeed mechaper, he doesn't have to bring another uh, korban chatas, another uh, sacrifice for his previous sin, because a tikkun we'll see exactly what that means from a kind of recti- rectification for the altar. We begin the Gemara. Amar Rav, Rav says, Me'edusa shal ben from the testimony of Rabbi Yechonah ben Gudgida, Amar le'edim, we can deduce that if someone says to witnesses, Ru'u get zeshani noisin la, see this is a get that I'm about to give to her. Because of Amar la'kansi shachayiv zeh, and he turns to her, uh, and originally when he said it, it was not in front of her, and then he went to, over to where she was, and she and he gave her the same document. But he says to her, it's not a get, he says to her, it's a some kind of document that says, I owe you money. So it's a good divorce. Because we hold, didn't Rabbi Yechen ben Gudgada say that we don't need her to be aware of what's happening, because we can do it against her will. So to over here, just like in the case of the Mishnah, which was a, a woman who was deaf, she doesn't have a regular level, level in those days of intelligence. So to over here, despite the fact that she doesn't know what's going on because he didn't inform her that she's getting her get, nevertheless, she is indeed uh, divorced. Sigmar says, Pshita, it's obvious. Sigmar says, You might have thought, that when he says to her, take this document stating that I owe you money, so he's nullifying the, the power of the get. He's saying, I don't want to use it as a as a divorce document. Kamash Malan says, Come to the teacher, says, No, we don't say that. Why? Because if he indeed had intended to nullify it, he would have said it to the to the witnesses that he said to first of all. In the first place, the only reason that he's saying to her, here's a document that says that I owe you money instead of telling her that I'm divorcing you, is because he's embarrassed. The Al-Kitana Basisra, we said in the Mishnah, that in regards to a minor, a Jewish girl, so she's allowed, even though her marriage is not a complete marriage, it's only rabbinic, nevertheless she's allowed to eat truma as long as the truma is rabbinic. Let's say she was deaf, so it would be implied from the Mishnah, it's only because she's a regular minor and she's not deaf. But... 
if she was deaf, then she wouldn't even eat Truman de Rabbanon, even Rabbinic Truman in my time, huh? What's the reason? Because we're afraid that, let's say we have someone who's deaf, who is a Kohen. And so when he gets Truma, it's, he doesn't own it at all. And so if he marries a woman who's deaf, and now he wants to give her the Truma, so we're going to run into problems, because it's not his, and he can't give it to her, even though it's rabbinic. Sigmar says, Velechel, let her eat it. What's the big deal? Why are we creating decrees? It's no different than a case of a child who's eating something which is not kosher. We don't need to stop that. Okay, it's better maybe that he not eat that, but we don't have to stop it. We're afraid that there's going to be a case where a man who's a Kohen, who is deaf, so the the truma that he's receiving, he can't take possession of it, explains Rashi, because a cherish, a deaf person, doesn't have the ability to transfer things into his domain. So therefore, so he has a wife who is a regular woman, and he's going to give her to eat from truma. Meanwhile, it's not his. He can't eat it. She can't eat it, and therefore, it's gonna we're going to run into problems. So that's why we say that a, a minor, a woman who's a minor, who's married to a kohen, and she is deaf. So we say that she can't eat it. A gzer decree because of a case where a cherish, a regular deaf guy, a deaf kohen, is married to a regular woman. Why don't we allow her to eat this woman who is a regular pikachas? And she's married to a deaf Kohen. Why don't we allow her to eat rabbinic truma? And this way, and the reason why is because their marriages meet their abundant from the rabbis. So let her eat rabbinic truma. Thimar says, no, we can't let because we're afraid that she's going to eat truma de oraisa, uh, something that's truma from the Torah. Now the Gemara continues. We said in the Mishnah that if somebody stole some kind of beam, a significant beam, and he built it into his house, so we said you don't have to give it back. You just pay back. We learned that a Brisa. Let's say somebody stole some kind of beam and he built it into a house. Bishamay says you have to knock down the whole house, and you have to return it, that original thing to its owners. Bishil says, All he does is pay the actual value of the beam, because in order that otherwise people will not want to do tshuva, if they have to take down their whole house, he's never going to repent and give back anything. We said in the Mishnah, and on the case where somebody stole some kind of sacrifice, some kind of animal, and brought it as a sacrifice. Amar Ula, Ula says, from the Torah, whether it became known to the public or not, it does not really have the ability to be machaber, to atone for the person, and theoretically from the Torah, he should have to bring another karmat. So my time, uh, what's the reason why? Because when someone gives up hope on it, and that's after the fact that he stole it. So it doesn't help him. It hasn't transferred into his possession. Therefore, when he brings it, it's not really his. And therefore, when he brings it, it won't atone for him. Why do they say that if it's not made known to the public, then it indeed will be mechaber, will atone for him? So that the coins don't get depressed. Because they're going to say, oh no, what did I eat? It wasn't really a sacrifice. And it was just chulin. It was something that was not holy. And it was shechted. It was slaughtered. 
inside of the temple, which was it's a really bad thing to do. And when they ate it, they did a horrible, forbidden act, and they're going to get all depressed. So therefore, the rabbi said that no, that we allow to atone. And the pshat is, the understanding is, as Rashi says at the very end of this piece, we're going to see it. So he says that the reason that the, the, the way it works is that the rabbi said through the koach of Hefker, Bez, and Hefker, the rabbis have the ability to say that something that belongs to one person can, can transfer into someone else's possession. So, so to over here they said, despite the fact that he didn't really get it, so nevertheless it's considered his, such that it atones for him, and therefore the the uh, Kohanim will not get depressed. Now, Amri the Rabbanu Ula, so the rabbi said to Ula like this, It says in the Mishnah, that uh, the reason that they did this was because it was a rectification for the for the altar, and you're telling me it has to do with the Kohanim. Amr Lahem, so he responded and said, Came in the Kohanim at Savin, he said, if the Kohanim would be depressed, Nimsim is Be'ach Batal. So then they're not going to do the Avodah, they're not going to do the service in the Beis HaMikdash, and therefore the altar will end up be, becoming not used. And therefore it's a Tikkun is Be'ach by, by saying that the, indeed it works and it's atoned for, and the Kohanim haven't done anything wrong, so they're not going to get depressed and everything will run smoothly and the altar will continue to have, to have sacrifices on it. Rav Yehuda, um, Rav Yehuda says differently than Ula. He says a different understanding. from the Torah, Whether or not people knew about it or not, so it is indeed going to atone. My time, uh, what's the reason? Because Rav Yehuda holds that in fact, if you just have Yehosh alone, the guy gave up hope from ever seeing his animal again, that's enough for the person who stole it to transfer into his possession. We turn to 55b. So why do they say in a case where it was not known that it's not Machaper? Because we're afraid that people will think that it's okay to bring to the altar things that are stolen. So therefore we say, no, if it's something that people, people find out about and people know that it was stolen, then it's no good and they have to do it again. Now the Gemara continues. We understand according to Ula, That's why it says that the case is talking about specifically a sacrifice that was brought to atone for a sin. Because it's something that's eaten by the Kohanim. According to Rav Yehuda, it has nothing to do with the Takana, some kind of decree to help out a rectification so that the Kohanim shouldn't be depressed. Why do we have to be talking about a Chatas, a Filo Oilanami? Even if we're talking about a Korban like an Ola, which is completely eaten, so to speak, is consumed on the altar. So Nami, it should also be that uh, we should include that in the mission as well and say in that case as well, if people know about it, then it will not be a good Korban, it will have to be brought again. But if people don't know about it, it should also be fine. So why didn't we say that in the Mishnah? The Gemara says, We're saying not only, We're saying not only a case of Ola which is completely burnt on the altar, Even in a case of a chatas, a sacrifice which is being brought for atonement, That only the fats and the bloods are going upon the altar. Nevertheless, we still are worried about the altar. We're still worried that people shouldn't think that stolen things can go upon the altar. That the parts are eaten by the Kohanim. Nevertheless, we made this gzera so that people shouldn't think that the altar can be brought upon it. Something stolen. Tonight we learned in the Mishnah. We said in the Mishnah in this case that uh, you have a sacrifice that was brought that was stolen. It wasn't made known to the public. That it's something that is indeed going to atone because of a rectification for the altar. It's good according to Ula. We already explained how that fits in, that there's some kind of rectification for the altar, because the Kohanim, the priests, if they're upset, so they're not going to do their job properly. Elder of Yehuda, 
So it should really say the exact opposite. What are we talking about? We're talking about the case where you do bring it. That's not the Tikkun HaOlam. The Tikkun HaOlam is a case where you don't bring it. That The reason that we don't go and bring a Korban when it was stolen is because the people shouldn't say that uh, the, the altar accepts things that are stolen. So that's what it should say. So the Gemara says, That's really what it means. If people don't know about it, if the public doesn't know, so then it atones. However, if people do know about it, it does not atone. Why? Like we said, because of this uh, this rectification for the altar. Massive Rabbi Rabbi asks as follows. If somebody stole something and then made it holy, and then he went and he slaughtered it or he sold it, even though normally when you steal something and you slaughter it or you sell it, you have to pay four or five times the amount of what you sold. Here, since you were maktish at first, you made it hektish, so you've, it's considered that you stole from hektish, that you stole from the holy the the treasury of the temple, and therefore you only pay double and you don't pay four. So we learned on this, Bechutz, if it was slaughtered outside of the temple, Ki Gavna, in such a case, Anush Kares. So he's going to be punished with spiritual excision. Now, V'i'amris Yeush Kedi Laikani, and if it would be true, like Ula said, that when someone steals something, so the Yeush, the fact that he gave up hope on it, so it doesn't help you to, for it to transfer into your possession, Karisma Avidite, how could it be possible that you should be Chayv Kares? How could it be, okay, you, you made something hectish, that's not yours, so and you went and you slaughtered it outside of the temple, but it's not yours. It's not yours, so it shouldn't be hectish, and it shouldn't be considered that uh, you should be chayiv kares for for slaughtering something outside of the temple, which it belongs to the temple. So how does Ula explain this? Amr of Shizvi, sort of Shizvi explains kares midavrehem. This is something which is actually a rabbinic spiritual excision. they laughed at him. Kares midavrehem mi'ika. Is there such a thing as rabbinic spiritual excision? So Rabbi says says to them, When a great person says something, do not laugh at him. There is such a thing as spiritual excision that comes through a rabbinic ordinance. Because what happened? First of all, the rabbi said that it's considered that it's inside of his possession, in honor that in fact, now it will be in his possession because of Hefker, Bez and Hefker, Rashi explains, because the rabbis have the ability to take something out of one person's possession and place it into another person's possession. Now it's in his possession. Now when he's makdashit, when he says it belongs to, to, to the temple, so indeed does, and it has the, it's in the category of a sacrifice, and therefore when it's brought and slaughtered outside of the temple, so a person is going to be chayv kares. It doesn't mean that it's rabbinic kares, but rather, through the rabbis, there is a chayv kares, there's an obligation, or person is liable for spiritual excision. Amar Rava, Rava says, I certainly have the following question. When the rabbi said that it's considered in his possession, when does it transfer into his possession? From the time that he actually stole it, or from the time that he actually was makdash, that he made it holy to the temple? What's the difference? It depends. Let's say in the interim there were six months, and during that time the animal got pregnant and had a baby, and some wool grew on its back. So who gets the wool and who gets the babies? So Rav said, that it makes sense that from the time of the hectic, from the time that he actually went and donated it to the temple, that's when it transfers into his domain, so that the rabbis wouldn't do something to benefit him, that he would end up getting some all these, you know, the, the babies and the wool, 
they wouldn't do that in order to get him to have some kind of spiritual excision later. So rather, it must be that he doesn't get to have those babies that are born in the interim and the wool that comes in the interim as well. Masis, we begin the mission. During the time of the second temple, at the end of the second temple, while Titus or Titus was besieging Jerusalem, so there were people who would go around, non-Jews, and say to Jews, I'm going to kill you. And the Jew would say, don't kill me, don't kill me. Here, take my piece of land instead. So that's called a sikrikon, someone who does that. Now, let's read the mission again. There was no sikrikon, there was no law of sikrikon in Yehuda during the time when people were getting killed during the war. We'll see what this means precisely, the Gemara is going to ask. But from the time they were killing people out during this war, and onwards, Yeshba Sikrikon, there is a law of Sikrikon. Kate said, what is this law? What does this mean? Let's say somebody bought a property from someone who was one of these guys who said, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me your property. And then he went back to the guy who had been forced to give it over to the Sikrikon. So, Mekhe Batal. So you can't do it that way. Because the only reason that the Balhabais, this person who originally gave it over to the Sikrikon, was giving it to you, is because he feels forced by the fact that the Sikrikon already sold it to you. However, Mi Balhabais, let's say he went first to the person who owned that land originally, and then you went and you bought it from the Sikrikon, Mekhe Kaim, then it's good. Because there, the Balhabais does not feel forced, because you didn't first go to the Sikrikon. Similarly, we have a different case. Let's say you have a piece of land, and this piece of land was designated by a man that if he dies, or if he divorces his wife, that he would give this piece of land to her. So now, he went to the man, and he says he wants to buy this piece of land from this man, which had been designated for his wife. So first he bought it from, he went to the man and said, I'm buying it from you. And then he went to the woman and said, I'm buying it from you. So Mechabatol, it's not a good sale because the only reason that she's doing it is because she feels forced. Because if she doesn't agree, so the husband is going to think, oh, she doesn't agree because she's expecting to get this land. She, she's look, waiting for me to die or for me to divorce her. So therefore, that's why she feels forced. And therefore, it's not a good sale. Minha'isha, let's say she went first, let's say he went first to the woman. And then he went to the, the man. Mechabatol, it's a good sale. Zoom missionary shayna. This is how it was learned originally. Bezdin shalacharem amru. However, the courts later on said halakech misikrikon. If someone buys from one of these guys who was ready to kill and he got this piece of land, neisin lebayin ravia. What you do is you give the original owners a quarter of the value of the property, because what the sikrikon does is he lowers the value. Meaning, when the sikrikon he got it for free, he doesn't charge full price. He charges three quarters of the price. So you give three quarters to the sikrikon. You give the other quarter to the original owner. That's okay. Amosai, what is this talking about? Only if the Balhabais does not have the ability himself to buy it. The person who originally got it extorted from him, so if he has the ability to buy it back, so he has the first dibs on that piece of land. Rebbe sat down a court, and they decided, if it was within the possession, in the hands of this Sikrikon for 12 months, whoever wants it could come and buy it and what he does is he gives a quarter to the owners because then we can assume that if the guy hasn't bought it by now he's not going to buy it however before that time so you can't go and buy it because the, we need to give a chance to the buy them to the owners to be able to buy it back Gemara 
The Gemara begins, If during the time when the, the war was going on, there weren't people forcing them, Was there anything after the war? Meaning during the war, that was a time when these non-Jews were killing lots of Jews. So that would be a time when we could talk about Sikrika and what's going on. What does the Mishnah mean? Rabbi Yehuda says like this, It means that there was no halacha of Sikrikon during that time. Rabbi Asi said like this, There were three different decrees that were made. This is talking about Titus. When Titus, or Titus, was uh, besieging Jerusalem, he made three different decrees. The first one was like this, Whoever does not kill a Jew that he sees, he's going to be killed. Mitziyasa, the middle decree was called the Kotel Lysi Arazuzi. Whoever kills a Jew, he gets four Zeus. Basraisa, the final uh, decree was called the Kotel Liktaluhu. Whoever kills a Jew is going to be killed. Hilkach Kamaisa Mitziyasa, since in the first two, the first two decrees, so they had a reason to kill a Jew. Came in the Katli, since they were indeed killing, Agav Oinsei Gomeromachni. So when the guy, when the Jew says, don't kill me, don't kill me, I give you my piece of land, he really means to give over the piece of land, because he doesn't want, he really doesn't want to get killed. Basraisa, but in the last decree, so they weren't really going to give it over. Amri Ha'idna Lishkol, he says, today he's going to take it, Lamachar Tavan Lebedina, but tomorrow I'm going to bring him to court, I'm going to get my piece of land back. Thus, with the original decrees, it would indeed transfer into the possession of the Sikrikon, and you wouldn't have to think about at all the original owner. Whereas later on, so the original owner did not give it over at all to the Sikrikon, and therefore you had to worry about the original owner as well. We'll continue from here in the next Daily Duff.